Welcome to Rail Group On Air, brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief, William C. Vantuono. Railway Age's 58th Railroader of the Year is Canadian Pacific President and CEO Keith Creel, who has been instrumental in Canadian Pacific forging a leadership role in the industry while acknowledging the railroad's place in history and its role in driving the North American economy forward. Under Keith Creel's leadership, CP has been a safe, efficient, and productive railroad. This podcast is sponsored by Amstead Rail and Trinity Rail. Well, Keith Creel, on behalf of uh, Railway Age and Simmons Boardman Publishing Corporation, our rail group, I'd like to congratulate you on being named our 58th uh, Railroader of the Year. Um, well, well deserved. Thanks well, thank for joining Thank you, us. Bill. I think, think it's appropriate if I can. I'd like to thank you and, and your staff at Railway Age for, for the recognition. You know, thinking about uh, the many outstanding and iconic leaders that have preceded me being recognized, it's humbling. I'm honored to share on that history, certainly, but for me, it's most about the 12,000 railroaders that I get uh, the honor to serve and work with day in and day out that have made our collective success possible and continue to make it possible, uh, even today. So, so with that said, thank you again very much. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, you know, this has been a particularly tough year, uh, as we all know, uh, in, in this industry. To, uh, the COVID-19 uh, impacts and, uh, you know, economic impacts. But uh, uh, the railroad industry in general has weathered it quite well. Uh, speaking mainly about the freight side, the passenger side is a different story. They have their own challenges. But, uh, you know, can you, can you just talk just a bit about uh, your experience uh, th- this past year and how you handled this, this crisis? You're still handling it, obviously. Sure, sure. Well, Unique, I guess, is an understatement. Certainly nothing um, in my history or career prior to that I'd ever anticipated. I would have said it's probably, you would have told me a year and a half ago this was going to happen. I'd probably say that's a polite story. It's never going to happen. Uh, but I've learned a long time ago never to say never. Uh, and this has uh, been a challenging situation for all of us. But I tell you, when it all started as a leader, the thing I thought about most, number one, is the responsibility to protect our employee safety and our responsibility to serve the communities and the customers and serve the livelihoods that we support in this industry and specifically at CP. So, so we took a step back at the very beginning and we said, listen, let's focus on controlling what we can't control. And the thing that we can control and we have to control is protecting each other so that we can continue to serve. And that's what we focused on. Uh, we've been very intentional about doing that. Everything has been centered around that key decision of protecting employee safety so that we can continue uh, to serve. And, and with that mantra and that mandate, our team went about the business of doing exactly that. And yes, we've all been in a storm. We continue to be in that storm, but, but the CEP ship overall, I think has fared extremely well, as has the industry. And I think that's a reflection of the commitment to safety, the commitment to people and the commitment to serve that we all share and uniquely uh, enjoy and have com- in common in this industry. You have, uh, going back to before your railroading career, you were, uh, you were in the U.S. military and you served in, uh, 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 in the Middle East. Uh, maybe can you talk about that a little bit and, you know, how, did your, how does your experience translate to, to your railroading career? You know, it's uh, actually the military was the segue that led me into the railway. 
Uh, and the, the leadership lessons that I learned in the military that date back to that, that point, the Persian Gulf War. I was a very young, um, very young lieutenant, early 20s, commissioned officer, stepped into you know, an actual war zone. We had trained for that, but never actually uh, got to experience that. And you didn't know what you didn't know. But I learned very quickly that to be a leader, you've got to earn respect. Uh, and to earn respect, you've got to treat people with respect. So that's a very valuable lesson that I've carried from military uh, days into my railway days and leading by example, treating people with respect, making sure that they understand that yes, we have a job to do and yes, we all have to be accountable for that. But at the end of the day, as a human being, uh, we care about each other. I care about them, they care about me. And that creates the emotional commitment, the emotional connection that's so necessary in our industry because our industry requires so much of all of us. It's uh, it's an industry that you have to sacrifice often. It's an industry that never sleeps. Uh, our families depend upon it. The backbone of our economies depend upon it. It's, it's a great man, and it's also a great honor to serve. So the two married very well for me. They, they resonate well with my values. And that sense of service uh, is something that obviously was required then, and it's something that's required today, that working through people and with people, uh, leading people, to accomplish something they otherwise couldn't accomplish alone or in singular, uh, but do it collectively is something that really motivates me and something that in the railway industry, you get ample opportunity uh, to engage in that. So how did you transition from the military? What prompted you to join the, our, our, our industry? Uh, so obviously you've been very successful at. Well, I tell you, growing up uh, when I was in the military, never dreamed of working for the railway. But uh, as as all of us have in our lives, there are certain people that uh, that open doors for you, certain connections that give you a hand up. And I had a very close friend, actually my best friend in life, that still works at the BNSF Railway, that opened up uh, the door for me to come to work at BN and introduced me to the BN. And having a military background, um, shortly after the Persian Girl Four experience. Uh, the BN at that point, they were recruiting trainees and obviously there was, a, there was a good fit with my military experience and leadership experience. I had an opportunity actually, I was marketing was my degree, uh, marketing and management when I was in university. And I thought I wanted to be a marketing guy, but at the same time, I had that, that internal motivation to lead people. And I had an opportunity, I said, listen, if I'm gonna sell the business, I need to understand the business. So perhaps from, the military background, the operational background, very similar in a lot of senses. So I stepped into operations uh, and I've never came out. You know, it's, it gets into your blood. Sometimes I've said it's a fine line between love and hate because some days I, you know, my job is so demanding, our jobs are so demanding and so demanding on us and on our families. There's times you don't like it, but it, there are a whole lot more good days than bad. It's a very rewarding and has been a very rewarding um, career that I've been blessed to serve and work with some tremendous people. And one of those tremendous people, of course, is uh, your, I guess you'd call him your mentor, uh, uh, Hunter Harrison. When I went to the BN, this was in 1992, I think Hunter was, had already shifted and transitioned. He was at the ICs, but his legacy, obviously given the parts of the BN I worked on, I worked on the old Frisco area, which is where Hunter was from. Um, you know, he grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, Tennessee Yard. I was working in Cherokee Yard, which was the sister hump yard to Tennessee Yard, the Frisco built in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I didn't know him, I knew all about him. Uh, fast forward four years into my career, the Santa Fe BNSF Santa Fe merger 
occurs. Uh, I had an opportunity after post the merger uh, to get closer to home. I had a young family, uh, Mr. John McPherson, who serves now on the CSX board, uh, used to be the executive vice president of operations at that time on the IC, uh, interviewed me, recruited me, and offered me a job in Memphis, Tennessee. And I left BN at that point, joined IC, and day one, uh, I met Hunter Harrison. So here I am, a train master, uh, frontline leader, frontline supervisor, entry level on the management side and operations, setting in an office in downtown Chicago on the 21st floor of NBC Tower uh, with Hunter Harrison, who at that point was already a legend in the industry. Little did I know how much more his influence would grow on our industry. But I'll tell you then, at that point in my life, it was, uh, it was a bit overwhelming and, and certainly uh, something that uh, I still remember to this day. But obviously, he saw something in you, and he's and in the past, of course, uh, I've had many, I had many conversations with him. He was our railroader of the year twice, uh, once at uh, the CNIC, and then then at uh, Canadian Pacific. And uh, you know, he often he often talked about you, uh, and he uh, he just said the connection. He talked about the connection that you two had, and you you two could almost. Uh, know what the other was thinking you really you really clicked yeah hunter was um hunter was a very very iconic visionary leader i think we all know that and certainly recognize and respect that you can't deny it uh, but i'll tell you from the very beginning you know demanding is probably an understatement uh, hunter demands excellence and he effectively if you're going to work with him you've got to produce you've got to produce results Having come from the same background, similar background, similar cultures, both being from the South, uh, you know, to some, his, his influence and his leadership style could be overwhelming to me. Uh, he was more like the coach that you didn't want to let down or the father or the, you know, the, the mentor that you have in your life you don't want to let down. So at the end of the day, that resonated with me. Uh, he challenged me mentally. Uh, he challenged me as a leadership standpoint. He continually put me in positions that, uh, in the beginning seemed a bit overwhelming, but there was a method to the madness and it was a learning opportunity. And not only did he challenge you and put you in those situations, but he walked with you alongside you and worked with you as long as you could take the message from the delivery and understand what he was saying. And, and I did, I was, able, I was able to filter that out and all of the, um, probably what some might say is the, the stronger personality traits he had to me, uh, those were filtered out and I focused on the message. And it resonated and it made tons of sense, great common sense. It's about doing the right thing. It may not always be the easy thing, often it isn't. Uh, but if you're willing to do the right thing, then success is going to follow. Uh, so I was blessed to have two decades of working with Mr. Harrison. I survived it. Uh, it was challenging. <laughs> there were certain times that you, know, yeah. you think maybe you're not. But at the end of the day, with Hunter, if you're going to survive working with Hunter Harrison and meet his demands, you've got to learn the way he thinks. You've got to learn what he looks at what matters to him. Uh, and he was very predictable in a lot of ways because it was always the basics of the business. And if you're not afraid to roll your sleeves up and get to the basics and learn it from the ground up, um, he wasn't intimidated. If you were not, if you were to sort of skate at the top level and try to act as if you knew when you really didn't, then that could be very dangerous mm -hmm. to him. So so he uh, he comes out of retirement to go to the Canadian Pacific. Uh, you you join the uh, Canadian Pacific. Of course, you had worked with him at the CN uh, for a number of years. Um, 
And then in 2017, uh, he, he leaves for, for CSX, which was his last assignment. And, uh, and you're in charge. So uh, what, uh, what is different about the CP today uh, that, uh, as, a, as contrasted with uh, under, under Hunter? It is a different railroad, or somewhat different. Yeah, railroad, it's you, you know, it, it's an. I would say, Bill, it's an evolved railroad. You know, the fundamentals and the foundation are the same. You know, what Hunter brought to CP and what I joined Hunter on this journey to bring to CP was a discipline called precision scheduled railroading. So, you know, we we executed that operating model on the railway, and it became the foundation of the way we run the business. Now, when Hunter transitioned, you know, we had been about fixing the company, creating all of service, controlling our costs, doing all the things that are fundamental to our success. He transitioned out. I had several years, the last probably two. Uh, Hunter had some, some medical challenges the last two years he was with CP, you know, but he was always yeah. strong and Hunter always back, bounced back. But at the same time, he trusted me and he brought me there with a mandate and an expectation if I performed, I would take over the company. That was the plan. Uh, so I had a lot of time to think about how we would pivot. And as soon as Hunter left, given we, where we were in our journey, it was time to pivot from being the low cost service provider to growing. So the mandate I received from the board was to pivot to growth. Uh, and given that I had a very good knowledge of our network at that point, given I was running the operations, I, I knew it quite well. Uh, I had experience in North America and quite a bit of experience in the Canadian landscape with the other railway. Uh, so it didn't take a lot of time for me to, to put a plan together with our team collectively. Uh, number one, create the same kind of discipline and culture of accountability within the marketing team, the sales and marketing team as we had established in operations and combine the two and to be partners and to take the service of the foundation of what we provide and create solutions for our customers that we could deliver on and create value in the marketplace without over committing, without destroying our reputations, our ability to actually run the business the way it has to be run day in and day out. So what's due today is my style's a bit different. Our fundamentals, our philosophies, our, our core values are the same. Uh, the company hasn't changed in that regard. We're just evolving. Uh, and quite frankly, the talent, the bench strength that we focused on, that's, that's my focus on my legacy is about leadership and about leaving the company better than I found it. Uh, so I've spent a lot of my time over the last two years specifically outside of developing and working with the marketing strategy and connecting with customers, you know, rebuilding relationships with employees and at the same time helping train and develop leaders that when I'm gone, I can look back and say, you know what, you'll be able to interview that next CEO one day and say, you know what, CP's really moved ahead since Keith left. What's different about the company's success? And again, I think it's going to be a story of evolution, not significant change. It's just normal growth, mature growth as we change in this world. You change with it and you grow with it. And there has been uh, top line growth. I think it's widely understood that the uh, Canadian railroads uh, really got precision scheduled railroading right and uh, have taken it to the next level. So why don't you talk a bit about, about the business growth that uh, that's occurred, um, you know, not necessarily this this year of course has been rough for everybody but yet it's been it's been a good year uh relatively speaking um so wh where does the growth where is the growth uh coming from in, in terms of customers in terms of uh wh what cp does 
your customer base? Well, yeah, so, so overall, you know, number one, our growth, we've led the industry in growth. I, I guess it's to say growth last year, we were, we were flat, but compared to the industry, which shrank, that was something to be excited about that, that we were proud of. And even this year, we heard a lot of momentum because of our initiatives that we've created. We call them self-help initiatives, uh, customer solution initiatives in, into this year. But of course, this pandemic has set us all back, but we're getting back close to flat, which I think, again, is, is pretty phenomenal. Uh, but with that said, it's, all, it's been about the strategy, Bill. We sat down, when I took over as the CEO, I sat down with uh, John Brooks, who is our chief marketing officer. Uh, he reported to me prior to that as one of the two key lieutenants I had on the team. Uh, when I was running operations, they reported to me. Uh, I picked John as the leader. Uh, John clearly understood my mandate. We sat down together with a couple of other key leaders in our company and said, listen, how can we take all of the capacity we've created, play to our network strengths, and create solutions for customers so they can win in their marketplace? So we were blessed with a franchise, especially in the Canadian space, where all the key markets we serve, we have shortest length of haul. So on our best day, running on average in each of the key corridors 200 miles shorter versus our competitors' best day, we should have a superior level of service. But were we realizing it? So now that we're realizing it, how do we monetize it? Well, along the way, PSR creates a whole lot of capacity because the old way around on the railroad is, you know, you have a lot of cars and a lot of track, and the more business you have, the more cars you think you need, and the more locomotives and track you think you need. Well, PSR, it's about turning assets and doing more with less. So as you create longer, more efficient trains, then obviously you create capacity. We, had, we found ourselves with too many locomotives, too much track, and, and I've got to thank our predecessors at CP, they had the vision to do this. At every one of our locations, major metropolises in Canada, whether it's Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, or Montreal, we were blessed with land to expand. So how do we take our superior franchise Combine that with our land holdings that we have contiguous to all of our terminals and expand our customers and create those solutions. So that's what we went about doing. And I can talk about literally each of our business units. There's a story in each and every one because it's about how do you take what you have and make it better, whether it's the innovation driving the change narrative in Canada about running, you know, what successful grain franchises look like. You know, the model five years ago was 112 car grain train. You could say that's probably been a standard model in this industry for decades. Uh, well, in Canada, we looked at it from a PSR standpoint. Is that really the best way to optimize the movement of grain? Well, no, we need to run bigger trains. So we innovated there. We've changed the narrative there. We've gone into intermodal. How do we partner our customers? This last announcement uh, that, we, that we made everyone aware of with Maersk is a transformational move for this company. It's a combination and a perfect example of that bill where we've taken land that's strategically located inside our terminal in Vancouver, which is one of the major metropolises in Canada, and it's also the largest import port on Canadian soil, uh, and converted it into a partnership with the largest steamship company in the world that won't be become supply chain integrators in a transload. We're literally building a transload right now, which is going to open third quarter of 2021 that's going to create a mousetrap that can't be replicated. We have a unique land, we've got a unique franchise, we've got a new set of employees and minds to put this together with a partnership that is going to be 
working well for that customer, helping them grow in the world market and in their space as we grow with them for a long period of time, for many more years to come. So those kind of things are what we focused on, creating solutions that allow us to win and our customers to win, that what growth is all about in a PSR world. We've seen quite a few examples of that in recent weeks. This, you and I are talking now at the very beginning of December, and just in the past couple of weeks, we've reported on several uh, CP projects having to do with, as you just described, transloading, uh, intermodal. Uh, we've seen records set in, in grain haulage. Of course, grain is very big for the, for the, Cana for, for the Canadian railroads, but uh, uh, those records continue to, to be set. Uh, so the, the growth is definitely there. Yeah, it's something that um, it's work in progress, Bill. As we all know, these projects are they're needle movers, I call them. Uh, they don't happen overnight. You know, you plant the seeds and you start the hard work of sowing those seeds to reap the harvest a year, two, three years out. So these different self-help initiatives are all coming to fruition, but they're among many that we have. In, so, you know, we announced also yesterday uh, our plans to uh, convert additional land holdings in Vancouver uh, to create an industrial park, which is adjacent to that same location where we're building mm -hmm. uh, that Translow facility. So that, that's an additional 100 acres that, you know, that's a two, three year vision uh, before we get shovels in the ground to be able to do this. But it takes that kind of planning. But when you are thinking that way and you're being entrepreneurial and you're thinking about how I can help the customer, how I can help the economy and how I can help the environment win, uh, you can lead yourself to those kind of solutions. So it's something that, uh, we're blessed with the opportunity to be able to do that and the team to be able to convert. So Keith, as you know, the uh, railroad industry is, uh, in the past few years has been uh, really almost exponentially deploying advanced technologies, which has really helped not only the, the operations, but the relationships with the customers and the, the, the service, uh, the level of service. Uh, uh, what are some of the uh, important projects at, uh, at CP, the technology projects? That's, that's a very good point, Bill. You know, safety and reliability is something that um, we have an obligation to deliver. And it's, it's, I call it table stakes. It's part of our success platform at our railway and in this industry. So that's a that is starting to make some advancements. Uh, at the same time, when it comes to technology, I've always been one I don't want to be the bleeding edge of technology, and I call it the bleeding edge because you, you throw a whole lot of money away sometimes, throw good money at bad, uh, chasing things that never develop. But I don't, I don't want to be behind. So our approach at CP has been to take a practical approach to develop and implement. You have to be able to do both. Solutions that drive safety, which ultimately when you drive safety, improve safety, you improve reliability, especially in a railway that, that depends upon asset turns and velocity, and in turn, you drive efficiency. So all three together, safety is the platform and technology is an enabler. So that's a space that the last uh, two years, we've been moving and working to some things that have came to fruition as well during this pandemic that uh, we've recently talked about that are needle movers for us. Uh, and it's taking those practical applications and implementing them. And I'll, I'll speak to two that are that are very material. Mm -hmm. So as you know, we're a bulk railway. We move a lot of grain trains, a lot of potash trains, move a lot of coal trains. Well, this journey started probably a decade ago on coal trains. CP, unique in this industry, developed 
by using our wayside equipment detection, an ability not just to measure the hot wheel bearing, uh, which is the reason we've deployed those to protect against burnoff journals and derailing trains, but you can take that same technology and apply it to create what we call cold wheel technology, not just hot bearing technology. Mm -hmm. So when you say cold wheel technology, it's the application of those systems to measure the heat of the wheel when, in, when a train is in its braking effort. So in simple terms, you have them at the bottom of grades, and when a train is going by at track speed, that brake shoe is putting heat on that wheel and we're measuring how much heat. Well, obviously you get a heat pattern across a train, a good braking train is supposed, to, it will develop so much heat on a wheel. Then you can analyze and identify the ones, the specific trains and wheels and the cars uh, that are not emitting the heat, which says the brake's not working as effectively as you need to. So we deployed that on the coal fleet. Uh, we use that as the test case. It's a closed loop system. We took the data and we drove the reliability on our brakes on our coal trains up dramatically. The bad orders went down greatly and the braking effort increased tremendously. So that same application, we said we're going to apply that to our potash fleet. And again, this is a multi-year journey which came to fruition this year, Transport Canada allowed us an exemption for one of our big tests that by regulatory measures we normally would have to do by using this coal well technology on our potash fleet. Now you marry that with another technology, uh, which is our portal system, and other railroads are deploying them. Uh, we took a bit different approach. Train can go through a track speed. It's taking you know, high resolution cameras. Instead of using algorithms, uh, we're using infrared, we're using the human eye to identify safety defects. So we took that data and that test information to Transport Canada and said, listen, we're identifying 87% more defects than the human eye is when they do a walking inspection. So give us an exemption, let us prove the technology even more so we can scale it up and apply it to other fleets. So those two together, literally two weeks ago we started, or three weeks now, on our potash fleet, we have an ability to bypass a visual inspection, a safety inspection by using technology at the same time, bypass one of the brake inspections. And on that fleet specifically, when I talk about apply it and convert it, every one of those pot irons that move through that terminal that do not have to stop and do what they would have done otherwise a month ago, we're saving three to four hours well per train. And it's not just the impact on that train, it ripples across your entire fleet and every other train that you run through the terminal. So those kind of practical, applicable solutions that drive safety and drive reliability and drive efficiency, those are the kind of things we're focused on most at CP. And we'll continue to be focused with, it, with that same mandate and that same mantra and commitment. Right, that's, that's the uh, machine vision uh, technology, which has proven, uh, as you just said, very, very useful. Uh, what about positive train control? Now, you're, uh, the US uh, lines uh, of CP, are, are equipped uh, and, and fully functional. Uh, what is the uh, outlook for PTC in, in Canada? I know that there's some sort of a initiative underway. Uh, there is no uh, Canadian federal mandate, but nevertheless, uh, what, 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 what can we expect from, the, from, uh, from CP and from the Canadian railroads in terms of PTC? Well, listen, we're, we're learning from our experience with the PTC that we've applied on the U.S. operation. I can tell you, you know, by the time PTC was designed, executed, 
and implemented and put into service, uh, you could say it's obsolete already. Uh, so the, the Canadian regulator working in partnership with, with the Canadian roads, we're going to look at it, we're going to study it, uh, but the view is not to replicate it. We want to do something that's, that's more responsive, that's probably quicker to adapt, quicker to implement. So there's more to come on that. Uh, I don't think PC as we know it in the U.S. My guess is it will never happen that way in Canada because I do think, uh, given that we're a decade later, uh, there are other technologies and other strategies to deploy that can give us a greater step in safety and reliability and efficiency uh, that you'll see us deploy eventually in the Canadian side. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, though it's going to take a bit of time. Uh, again, it's something that there is a focus on and something that we're paying attention to. I wanted to talk about the uh, the history of, uh, of CP a bit. And, um, you know, the Canadian Pacific really was... Uh, in, in a sense, built Canada uh, with, with the, the transcontinental and uh, all of all of the marvelous engineering that um, that that was uh, implemented by some of your your predecessors. Uh, uh, you, in particular, have really paid attention to that history. You, it, it's it's sort of that that focus on on what CP means to the the communities you serve what CP means to the nation of Canada as a whole. That's, uh, that's something that you have really embraced. Uh, talk about that a bit. You know, I think as a, as a leader, it's important that you create vision. Uh, and I quickly realized and learned uh, when I came to CP how much pride existed in our company. You know, I competed against CP for 17 years. I knew about CP. I knew it was a iconic Canadian company, but I didn't fully understand the history, nor did I fully understand the commitment that was tied to that history because of the pride that it represents. So you talk about a company that literally, Canada as we know it today in 1885, uh, in partnership with CP, CP connected the country. It connected British Columbia physically from the West to uh, Canada as we know it as a country. So to, to have that woven into your fiber uh, and to understand the history and to know how much the nation, the commerce, the livelihood of people, the communities, jobs, to connect all, all together, it, it creates a sense of obligation, a sense of commitment, and a huge sense of pride that we take seriously. Uh, so I tapped into that. When I, I came, you know, the beaver, that was one of the first decisions. Some, right, the logo, some may yeah. say that was pretty, pretty simple, uh, but literally day one, when I took over as the CEO, uh, you know, Hunter, we'd been on a vision to focus the company on sort of reinventing itself. Uh, so the beaver and its symbolic importance sort of faded away during those times of the transition. Uh, but given that we had reinvented ourselves, I wanted something to bring our company together because we came gone through a lot of change. And listen, we didn't get it all right. You don't drive that kind of change that fast and get it all right. So I wanted something for people to rally around. And that, that beaver, that logo says so much about commitment and hard work in, in our history uh, that to me, I called the corporate office. I, I literally remember it like it was yesterday. I called Mark Wallace. Um, you know, Mark works at CX now. Mm -hmm. And I said, Mark, the beaver is back. I want it put back up on the corporate office. Uh, we're going to redesign and recreate our next generation's logo. So we went out the work. I sat down with uh, Mark's team and said, listen, this is what 
CP was, this is what we've transitioned with the new CP and this is what we're gonna be going forward. Uh, so it's all about not forgetting where we came from, uh, realizing that we've got a responsibility to our past, but also the responsibility to create success in the, the future. And that's where our new CP logo came from. And it literally, uh, I don't wanna say it was the best decision I've ever made, but certainly it was one that resonated with our employees and exceeded my expectations. And it's something we're all very proud of. Well, that's important, I think, to give uh, employees uh, a sense of continuity. Also, the younger people coming, coming into the company, uh, you know, that, they're, that they can feel connected uh, in, in a way that they, they realize that they are working for a company with a, a great tradition, a great, a great history, uh, you know, that, that sense of uh, uh, na Canadian sense of, of, of national pride. I think that's, that's important. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. It resonates with people as human beings to feel like you're, you belong to something that's bigger than yourself, to feel like you're helping create a success that's bigger than yourself. I think as a human being, uh, that resonates with all of us. It's the way God walks. We want to make a difference. Uh, we want to leave it better. And, and when you can get people around that common vision to do that and use something as a glue and as a foundation uh, that represents all of those things, both past, present, and future success and responsibility. I think that's a great thing. There's, there's a very unique esprit de corps within our company. Uh, it's something I call, I say this often, the CP family. We sacrifice for each other. We serve each other. Uh, you know, we, we love each other through the good times and through the bad times. But at the end of the day, we all have to earn our seat at the table. We all have to pull our own weight. Uh, so the people that I work with and that I lead and I serve with, we all know that there's no free rides. You produce results. You do it in the right way, you do it in a respectful way, but when you do, you don't have to apologize for it, and the result is gonna produce success. And that's our responsibility to each other, as well as to our shareholders and to our customers. Uh, and again, that resonates, and it's created a chemistry within the company uh, that you know, people wanna be a part of. Success breeds success. We all wanna be part of something bigger than ourselves. We all wanna be able to one day to set with our kids, not only provide a good living, but say, you know what, what I did in life mattered. I helped create something that otherwise wouldn't have been able to be created and something we're proud of. Uh, to me, to create a culture that can give that to people uh, is just as important as the success you create. Uh, it's just the way, again, serving people, working with people, uh, I just think it's the right thing and it's the way we're all wired at CP. In industry, meeting my wife, you know, we all know, I, we all can say this, we live it. You're gonna live a railroader's life, especially if you're gonna do the things we've been required to do. We've, we've moved 13 times. Uh, she's got a servant's heart and she's been committed to our family and she truly is the one that has allowed me the space to do what I do and still you know, raised our children. Uh, her support, you know, I, we call her, we kid this, she's, she's the real CEO in our house. She's my closest competent advisor. So, so she's been a very, very pivotal person for me. And then the last thing is my sense to serve other people uh, and my sense of responsibility that my Christian values give me. You know, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, you know, we all wanna make a difference in life. I wanna leave it better than I found it. Uh, and this is an industry that requires great sacrifice, but gives you a great reward if you're willing to do that. So those things along the way, you know, Hunter, my wife, where came from, and then just all the people I've been blessed to work with. You know, I could say, 
you know, going to work for the IC, that's when I really learned the fundamentals of railroading, uh, working with her. Uh, but then when Hunter left, you know, CN, coming to CP, you know, I never would have imagined in my 17 years at CN, I would work for much less lead the company that I competed so uh, passionately against. But when I came, you know, that was, to me, that was God's hand. It was fate. Uh, and it's a decision mm -hmm. I've never regretted. There's a lot of great people at CN. It's a great franchise. Still friends with a lot of those folks, and I'll always care about them. Uh, but my path and my purpose has been this company, and it's, it's something that every day motivates me to get up and do what I do. Uh, I'm really, really blessed to be a part of the success story and part of our story at CP. Well, Keith, once again, congratulations on being named uh, Railroader of the Year. Uh, we, we, uh, we look forward to... Uh, presenting you with, uh, uh, with, with the award. Uh, we're not sure at this point when that's going to happen, but it will happen. We, we can guarantee you that. Uh, uh, just uh, well, well deserved, for not only for you, but, uh, but for all the people of, uh, of Canadian Pacific, and also for, in a way, by extension, uh, you know, your, your customers and, uh, and all the people of Canada, really. Congratulations. Well, thank you again, Bill. The CP family, we're honored, uh, we're blessed and, and humbled by the recognition. Well, that's it for this edition of Rail Group On Air. Thanks very much to our 58th Railroader of the Year, Keith Creel, President and CEO of Canadian Pacific. And special thanks to our sponsors, Amstead Rail and Trinity Rail. This has been Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Thanks for joining us, and have a safe day.